Welcome to this episode of Planting Seeds. I'm Keith Jones, the preaching minister of Calera Church of Christ, and I've prepared a short message from Scripture that's intended to be the planting of a seed that, if cultivated, will in time produce fruit in the lives of the listeners. Now, let's get started. Shine upon you and be gracious and give you peace. In this episode, we'll continue our study of the book of Judges by looking at Judges chapter 20. If you have a Bible with you, turn to Judges 20 and follow along while I read, beginning in verse 1. Then all of the people of Israel came out from Dan to Beersheba, including the land of Gilead, and the congregation assembled as one man to the Lord at Mizpah. And the chiefs of all the people of all the tribes of Israel presented themselves in the assembly of the people of God, 400,000 men on foot that drew the sword. Now the people of Benjamin heard that the people of Israel had gone up to Mizpah, and the people of Israel said, Tell us how did this evil happen? And the Levite, the husband of the woman who was murdered, answered and said, I came to Gebeah, that belongs to Benjamin, I and my concubine, to spend the night. And the leaders of Gebeah rose against me and surrounded the house against me by night. They meant to kill me, and they violated my concubine, and she is dead. So I took hold of my concubine and cut her into pieces and sent her throughout the country of the inheritance of Israel, for they have committed abomination and outrage in Israel. Behold, you people of Israel, all of you, give your advice and counsel here. And all the people arose as one man, saying, None of us will go to his tent, and none of us will return to his house. But now this is what we will do to Gebeah. We will go up against it by lot, and we will take ten men of a hundred throughout all the tribes of Israel, and a hundred of a thousand, and a thousand of ten thousand, to bring provisions for the people, that when they come, they might repay Gebeah of Benjamin for all the outrage that they have committed in Israel. So all the men of Israel gathered against the city, united as one man. And the tribes of Israel sent men through all the tribe of Benjamin, saying, What is this evil that has taken place among you? Now therefore, give up the men, the worthless fellows in Gebeah, that we may put them to death and purge this evil from Israel. But the Benjaminites would not listen to the voice of their brothers, the people of Israel. Then the people of Benjamin came together out of the cities to Gebeah to go out to battle against the people of Israel. And the people of Benjamin mustered out of their cities on that day 26,000 men who drew the sword, besides the inhabitants of Gebeah who mustered 700 chosen men. Among all these were 700 chosen men who were left-handed. Everyone could sling a stone at a hair and not miss. And the men of Israel, apart from Benjamin, mustered 400,000 men who drew the sword. All these were men of war. Then the people of Israel rose in the morning and encamped against Gebeah. And the men of Israel went out to fight against Benjamin. And the men of Israel drew up the battle line against them at Gebeah. The people of Benjamin came out of Gebeah and destroyed on that day 22,000 men of the Israelites. But the people, the men of Israel, took courage and again formed the battle line in the same place where they had formed it on the first day. And the people of Israel went up and wept before the Lord until evening, and they inquired of the Lord, Shall we draw near to fight against our brothers, the people of Benjamin? And the Lord said, Go up against them. 
So the people of Israel came near against the people of Benjamin the second day. And Benjamin went against them out of Gebeah the second day and destroyed 18,000 men of the people of Israel. All these were men who drew the sword. Then all the people of Israel, the whole army, went up and came to Bethel and wept. They sat there before the Lord and fasted that day until evening and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And the people of Israel inquired of the Lord, for the ark of the covenant of God was there in those days, and Phinehas the son of Eleazar son of Aaron ministered before it in those days, saying, Shall we go out once more to battle against our brother, the people of Benjamin, or shall we cease? And the Lord said, Go up, for tomorrow I will give them into your hand. So Israel set men in ambush around Gebeah, and the people of Israel went up against the people of Benjamin on the third day and set themselves in array against Gebeah as at other times. And the people of Benjamin went out against the people who were drawn away from the city. And as at other times, they began to strike and kill some of the people in the highways, one which goes up into Bethel and another uh, to Gebeah and in the open country, about 30 men of Israel. And the people of Benjamin said, They are routed before us as at first. But the people of Israel said, Let us flee and draw them away from the city to the highways. And all the men of Israel rose up out of their place and set themselves in array at Baal Tamar. And the men of Israel who were in ambush rushed out of their place from Maaragiba, and there came against Gebeah ten thousand chosen men out of Israel, and the battle was hard. But the Benjaminites did not know that disaster was close upon them. And the Lord defeated Benjamin before Israel, and the people of Israel destroyed twenty five thousand one hundred men of Benjamin that day. All these were men who drew the sword. So the people of Benjamin saw that they were defeated. The men of Israel gave ground to Benjamin because they trusted the men in ambush whom they had set against Gebeah. Then the men in ambush hurried and rushed against Gebeah. The men in ambush moved out and struck all the city with the edge of the sword. Now the appointed signal between the men of Israel and the men in the main ambush was that when they made a great cloud of smoke rise up out of the city, the men of Israel should turn in battle. Now Benjamin had begun to strike and kill about 30 men of Israel. They said, surely they are defeated before us as in the first battle. But when the signal began to rise out of the city in the column of smoke, the Benjaminites looked behind them and behold, the whole city went up in smoke to heaven. Then the men of Israel turned and the men of Benjamin were dismayed for they saw that disaster was close upon them. Therefore, they turned their backs before the men of Israel in the direction of the wilderness, but the battle overtook them, and those who came out of the cities were destroying them in their midst. Surrounding the Benjaminites, they pursued them and trod them down from Noah as far as opposite Gebeah on the east. Eighteen thousand men of Benjamin fell, all of them men of valor, and they turned and fled toward the wilderness to the rock of Ramon. Five thousand men of them were cut down in the highways, and they pursued hard to get them, and two thousand of them were struck down. So all who fell that day of Benjamin were twenty-five thousand men who drew the sword, all of them men of valor. 
But 600 men turned and fled toward the wilderness to the rock of Remon and remained at the rock of Remon four months. And the men of Israel turned back against the people of Benjamin and struck them with the edge of the sword, the city, men and beasts, and all that they found. And all the towns that they found were set on fire. I know this was a lengthy reading, but I think the chapter as a whole does a great job of helping us see how to clearly take a stand for what is right. A lot of the details of this chapter may have you scratching your head a little bit. If Israel was supposed to fight against Benjamin, why did God let them fail twice? Why was there so much loss of life on both sides? Why couldn't this been handled a different way? But I think when we look at God working through the circumstances that were going on in Israel at the time, the choices that the people were making, God was actually still very gracious. And in the process, we can learn from the successes and failures of Israel when we decide to take a stand in our time, in our circumstances, in our society. I think the first thing that we have to see in this chapter is that anytime that you stand up for what is right, there's going to be a battle. Anytime you make a strong stand for doing something the right way, there are going to be people who disagree with you, who think another way is better, or maybe they're angry that, that your way is not their way, or it's going to affect them. There's a battle that ensues. Sometimes they're small. Sometimes they're only verbal. But sometimes they can be prolonged and, and hateful, if not even violent. So in our culture, which very often is against God and things of God, we need to know that when we stand up for what is right, there's going to be a battle. I do need to make sure that we understand, though, just because there is a battle does not mean we're right. We have to make sure we're fighting the right battle or we could experience disaster. Remember what the text said about the tribe of Benjamin. They were fighting this battle against Israel. They thought they were succeeding, but they didn't realize disaster was upon them. Very often, I see well-intentioned Christian folks fighting fights that they shouldn't be fighting, and it leads to disaster. They're actually on the wrong side of the issue. Anytime we stand up for what is right, there will be a battle, but we have to make sure we're fighting the right fight. Once we've determined that we are standing up for what's right, there, there are some things we need to remember. First of all, is that God will use us in this battle for right, but he doesn't need us. He doesn't need us to help him. He uses us in these experiences to help us, to grow us, to mature us, to prepare us for eternity with him, but he does not need us. Oh, why do I make that point right off of the bat? Notice Israel's casualty numbers. They lost 40,000 men. 22,000 on the second day, 18,000 on the first day. That's a total of 40,000 people. That's exactly 10% of their fighting force that was 400,000 men. Why is that significant? Before they went into battle, they had declared that they would take 10% of the population of Israel and use them to provide 
supplies to the army. They would send out one of every 10, 10 of every 100, 100 of every 1,000 to bring the provisions that would be needed for this battle. They had decided to provide for themselves with 10% of Israel's force. 10% of their force was eliminated. God should have been their provision. God expects us to learn to rely on him in these battles. We should be taking our instruction, our guidance, the things that we say, the things that we do directly from him. We shouldn't be trying to formulate our own game plan and then put that into effect and ask God to bless it. We should be wholly devoted to him. God can use us in this world. That's part of his plan. But he doesn't need us to tell him how to do it or do it for him. He needs to work through us. Which leads to the next point. If we're going to take this stand and do what God wants and trust on him, it is important that we get the order right. I think some of the confusion we might have about Israel experiencing defeat might be cleared up here because Israel seems to get the whole order of events out of whack. Right. They bring the people of Israel together and they consult each other about what they should do. And they decide they should fight a battle. Then they go to God and say, who should fight first? God says, well, Judah should fight first. He always goes first. That's the way it's set up. If there's a battle, Judah fights first. So they send Judah out there. They lead the people into battle and they experience casualties. They're confused. They retreat. They go to God and they say, God, we don't know what happened. Should we even be fighting? God said, yes, you should be fighting. This is a righteous fight. So they went out again the next day and they suffered more casualties. They come back to God and it's then that they go before God and they worship and they sacrifice and they repent themselves. They all as one person come before God and rely on his instruction, his guidance, and it's then that they find out that God will give them victory on the very next day. If they had gone about this in a different way, I I think they would have experienced success without all the casualties. It's important that we get that order right, that we go to God first and get right with God first. The people of Israel should have known this because in Leviticus 26, starting in verse 40, they had been told, but if they confess their iniquity and the iniquities of their father and their treachery that they have committed against me, and also in walking contrary to me, so that I walked contrary to them and brought them into the hands of their enemies— If then their uncircumcised heart is humbled and they make amends for their iniquity, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob and I will remember my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham and I will remember the land. God seems to be impressing this point on Israel who may have forgotten it. Yes, Benjamin is bad. But that doesn't mean you're innocent. If you want to experience victory with me, be right with me, be holy with me. Let's get on the same page together. And so God required that of Israel before he gave them victory. We get the order right, and then we ask God for his direction. 
Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. When we've gotten the order right, when we've gone to God first and we understand what it is that God wants of us, we should be willing to ask for direction then and then be willing to follow the leader. Israel started out by saying, should, who should go first? But they didn't even know where they were supposed to be going yet. When we come to God and we seek him and he gives us a path, he gives us a leader to follow that shows us what we should do. We should be willing to follow our leader. Jesus describes himself as a shepherd, a leader of sheep. In John chapter 10, verse 3, he says, To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And then later in the chapter, verse 27, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Israel experienced great hardship through this battle, but it seems in it they may have learned a lesson about relying on God, getting things in the right order, seeking his direction, and following their leader. As we understand God's game plan for standing up for what's right, there are a few things that we need to remember if we expect victory. One is that victory requires perseverance. Israel here tries this over and over again until they get it right. The first couple of times, it didn't work out exactly like they thought it would or hoped it would. But as they draw nearer to God, and come to understand more clearly what he expects of them, as they hang in there through all of those trials, they experience the victory that they sought. Similar things are promised to Christians in the New Testament. Second Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 5, says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. As you persevere in your Christian walk, character develops in you. One thing leads to another, and if you maintain that and allow them to increase in you, you become more and more effective and fruitful in the knowledge of Christ. Paul says something similar to the Romans in Romans 5, verses 3 and 4. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Hope is described throughout Scripture as the thing that will keep us hanging on until Christ returns. It will be our motivating force in taking the action that God calls us to in being wholly obedient to him. But even in that perseverance, we need to remember that victory will require sacrifice. If you remember back to verse 39 of our reading, even when Israel did things exactly the way God wanted them to, there were still 30 lives lost. There was a sacrifice that was made by Israel to achieve this victory. And in the New Testament, as Christians, we read 
in 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3, that blessed be God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter says there's an amazing inheritance that's in store for you, but you have to realize that there will be times that you have to make sacrifice to achieve that goal. Another aspect of achieving victory, I think, is found in verse 36. In verse 36, we're told that the people of Israel who were retreating did so because they trusted the people who were in ambush. When we're standing for the right and doing what God wants, it seems that victory is achieved when we persevere in doing what God wants, when we're willing to make sacrifice, and when we're part of a family that we can trust. Too many of us go to churches where we're not close to the people we attend services with. We don't have a sense of trust, so when it's time to go out and fight the world, We don't know who will have our back. We don't know who we can count on when things get us down, when we're going through our trials and we need someone to go through them with us to experience victory on God's terms. He provides us with family, a family of faith that we can trust. It's important that we find that family, that we plug into them, that we're a vital part of that group of believers so that together we can stand for what is right. Thank you for listening. You can find more of these messages on our website, calirachurchofchrist.org, or subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Twitter.